Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I will personally be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem solving, decision making, team development, and much more. These sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I will do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take the program, or if you have just a few folks, have them join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. You know, we are now into 2021. Many organizations are thinking about making the transition back to a normal workplace or whatever you want to call it. But one thing that is not going to change is the need for really good, clear communication. Our guest today is Dea Naif. Now, Dea is a coach. She's a mediator, but she's also an expert in conscious communication. And that's the topic we're going to be looking at today. How can we build better rapport with people? How can we handle uncomfortable issues? How can we set up safe spaces for dialogue? All of those are things that Dea knows well and shares with us today. If you have direct reports, you need to listen. If you have a family at home, you need to listen. Basically, if you got two ears, you need to listen. So why don't we all just get busy listening? Let's quit talking about her. Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that personal items tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure your seatbelt's buckled. Time for us to taxi out and take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Day and Afe, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure having you. This is going to be a really good topic because as things are beginning to shift from pandemic and quarantine mode, people are going to be coming maybe back to the physical office. And even if they're not, what won't be changing is the need to communicate. And so we're going to spend some time today talking about conscious communication, which is one of your many specialties. But before we get into that, Dea, I was hoping you could take us through your journey, your background, which is quite fascinating, leading up to what you do today. Oh, thank you. I'd be honored to share that. Uh, so I grew up in a, a construction-based family, and I went off to law school, uh, as was recommended by my my family. Uh, I think they envisioned me not necessarily swinging a hammer or driving a truck, but uh, doing something a little bit a little bit different, but still contributing. And I guess. Fast forward a little bit, I was doing construction law in New Orleans for about 16 years and was always very engaged in early dispute resolution, finding bigger picture solutions, doing a lot of teamwork type activities, building relationships. And 
focusing focusing that way on on creative problem solving and also i was kind of as i already said i went to law school so already kind of an academic achiever and uh, about halfway through my my professional career maybe not quite halfway about 6 or 7 years into my the my law practice i had a, a car accident which took me out of work for about 10 months and during that recovery time, I had the first time to like really like slow down and say, "Hey, what is my life looking like? What's it gonna look? What's it gonna be if I stay on this trajectory? And am I happy with what my impact is and how I'm communicating with the world?" And I had my first coaching experience. Actually, hired a coach during that time to kind of explore some of those options. Well, fast forward, I went back to practicing law that next year. I also got certified in mediation that year as well, kind of coming back into my professional arena and was able to employ those techniques and some of the coaching stuff that I've learned, some of the mediation stuff that I learned back into my law practice. And then fast forward again, to 2017, 2018, I was wrapping up the law practice I had with my now ex-husband and starting a business of my own, uh, fully on my own. And so coaching came back front and center. And also the conflict resolution came back front and center of my focus. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of wrapped up. I did a, a year-long professional coaching program. I'm a ACC certified ICF International Coaching Federation coach. Uh, also have 200 plus hours of training in conflict resolution and a certified conflict coach. So that pretty much brings us up to up to today. <laughs> okay, and I guess the conscious communication is one of those necessary ingredients for successful coaching mediation whatever you're doing, right? It is. It is, actually. I found that people shy away from crucial conversations. They shy away from conflict conflict conversations, and they're kind of missing out on the creativity that can occur in those conversations. Um, first of all, you're, you know, you're bringing yourself to that conversation and really kind of putting yourself out there and you're widening the, the field. You're like, what's, you know, what's available? So when it comes to controversial or emotional conversations, um, when you get skilled in this, you can find a way to get all the relevant information out there in the open um, so it's sort of like going to the store. If you go to the store and there's only like two or three items to choose from, that's kind of our old way of doing things. And if you go to the store and then there are like hundreds of items to choose from, that's something that using these methods and using these skills is what makes it possible. So this is definitely a different skill set than somebody who's just learning to active, actively listen, it sounds like. And it sounds like you're using this for conflict resolution, and for coaching. What is the difference between mediation and coaching? Because it sounds like you're going to use the conversation tools in that, but what's the difference between those two? That's an excellent question. Um, and in my in my marketing, when I'm as a small business owner, I have to always have my marketing hat on. And the skills are very similar. And the marketing seems to be very different. So 
So sometimes you need to decide when you need each person or what type of person you need in your life. So conflict coaching might be relevant for you if you are generally wanting to get better in your conflict skills or you do have a conflict in process, but you want to learn some more skills or both you and the other parties want to learn some new skills. Also, if you go to your your boss or your supervisor, or your team leader and say, hey, we, we, we're having these issues time and time again. You know, let's get in a, a coach or a trainer to go through some of this. If something has already, I don't want to say escalated, but you get the picture that talking and through and, and whatnot is, is kind of already gone, that ship has sailed, then you would contact a mediator and say, okay, you need to come in as a neutral and actually work through this particular dispute. And then at some time in the future, maybe we'll engage some skills and some training so that this doesn't happen again. So I'm always happy to get on the phone and talk through what's going on with people on it. Um, and, and usually like right at the outside of the conversation, I, you know, I ask them, it's like, am I going to be an advocate or am I going to be a neutral? And so if I'm going to be a neutral, then the conversation is, is very short uh, because I have to get both sides involved before actually proceeding. When you do mediation, is it big stuff that people are in a, at an impasse with, or do you find that it's little things that escalate? Oh, both, uh, both. And um, I'm surprised at how many people just stopped talking to one another. And that's what's got gotten us here. Um, I do very little talking when I'm doing a mediation or even a coaching session. Uh, it's usually the other parties are talking at least 70%, sometimes up to 90%. And I'm really just guiding the guiding the conversation. So in your experience, and I know you can't kind of divulge too much, but what is the most ridiculous thing that somebody's gotten into a dispute over from your <laughs> perspective? Oh gosh. Um, I guess I've been pretty lucky and I don't, I, I haven't had anything completely ridiculous. Um, and I think that's something that maybe I reflect back to people. Maybe that's what I put out there. Um, I mean, some cases, like when I, in my law practice, some things were just too small. Um, honestly, you know, if somebody called me and they wanted to file a lawsuit over something and the dispute was only a couple of hundred dollars and there's no cost benefit analysis, um, you know, in their mind, of course, uh, the emotional damage and whatnot. And, you know, I feel like I've just kind of been able to hold space for people in that situation where there's really no legal, no legal recourse. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I, I think it's the duty of people in the profession to really not give in to some of those really silly, some of those really silly things. Well, I guess it's probably the emotion that drives a lot of it when it's a dispute over something little and then it just starts growing arms and legs. But how many are, are people generally open to mediation versus full forward go on with a lawsuit? Culturally, we're, we're shifting slowly, but surely we are a very litigious culture in this country. And it's in my mind, fueled by what we see in the media 
and what we see on television. Uh, most of our entertainment programs are law-based, uh, which I think is which I think is really interesting. Uh, the practice of law is really not a lot like you see on TV with suits and um, at law and order and uh, showing uh, showing my maturity a little bit. Uh, LA law. <laughs> LA law. <laughs> Uh, and yet, that's what we—that's what we see, and that's what we, as a culture, we want our day in court. We like that absolution. We always think, or we eighty percent of the time think that we're going to win, uh, and 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 that we is the the legal profession. We so from the client's perspective, I'm from most of the ones I've talked to, they 100% think they're going to win, uh, which means if it's a two party case, then there's somewhere between 160 to 200% that people are bargaining with, which is just not reality. Yeah. So the mediation seems like a better way to go. Well, you've obviously developed some skills to be able to do this. Do you find yourself when you're not practicing, still using the techniques, like when you're going to go, uh, you know, negotiate for uh, a new car or something like that? Do you find yourself thinking in these patterns or do you flip a switch when you go to work? And then the rest of the time, you're just Dea, the normal human. <laughs> uh, I like to say that the, the the best mark of a successful profession is being able to be your authentic self, both in and out of the role. Uh, and like most humans, I make emotional decisions. And I would definitely have somebody with me when I was buying a car. Uh, I just couldn't you just can't you're it's an emotional decision and you really need somebody to hold your feet and say yeah it's really pretty but what are the <laughs> what are the payments going to be like and uh is it too low to the ground for your needs which is one of my needs uh being a southerner you've got to always worry about being able to get out of your driveway or <laughs> <laughs> well you definitely got to have loud pipes if you have a truck if you want to be successful down south, right? Yes, they've got to see you coming. It's a yeah, it, and hear me a mile thing. away. Exactly, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just asking, I, and I think I'd share this when we first met. I had worked with a lot of mediators, and God, they were the biggest pain in the ass I've ever worked with with human beings. And I would imagine these are the people that are excellent at reaching agreement. And man, they fought over every stupid thing. So it's really nice to engage with somebody who I think is beyond that. Maybe these were just like cut rate mediators or something, but uh, that, I guess it's important that you practice what you preach. And if you're preaching, let's reach common ground and yet you can't do it in a practical way, then I, you know, I'd have a little less faith in the mediation. But from what you say, this is a really good way to reach agreement. But the conscious communication, that's really the focus of today. How is that different from just two people having a regular chat about something? It's really going to be the intersection of intention and preparation and preparedness and presence of mind. Um, and maybe that's more of a overarching than an intersection. So what usually happens in a conversation? You, you go in a conversation with with you know, I'm just going to share this and then something happens to where it becomes a little bit controversial. And then once things go into the controversial phase, then adrenaline happens, just completely normal human adrenaline. And then the rationality dissipates. 
So you go in with one frame of mind, you meet that little bit of conflict, your body amps up, you go into lizard brain, and it's all she wrote after that. So I think what really makes it different to be conscious is really your preparedness. And this is a responsibility of being yourself, being calm, really asking yourself, what do I want to achieve in this conversation? Um, for as much as possible, putting yourself on both sides. And I, I don't like to look at it as sides, but let's look at it as sides for sake of this, this conversation. So have the conversation that you think the other person is going to have or the other parties, if it's a multi-party conversation, kind of visualize it, see it play out, listen to it, make some ideas of where people are going to be coming from in the conversation. And then really look at where you yourself can be more open and understanding. Um, and looking at, look at some places for analogy. I used like the store analogy earlier. I just made that up on the fly, but I think it really brought some some visual to it. Mm -hmm. So definitely going to want to think about some things that people can visualize, people can see or taste or bring to mind so that you can have greater understanding and awareness. So it sounds like I'm going to be doing a lot of prep if I want to have the crucial conversation. Now, I'm not going to assume the other person is going to go through this same level of prep to sit down with me. Do I have an advantage if I'm going to use crucial conversations, if this is something really important and I want to win, or would that be an unfair advantage? I think it is an advantage that will benefit both or all or the project. Um, so another thing that we look at in the conflict arena is focusing on the problem to be solved and not the people involved. So you come up, you enroll everyone in a win-win scenario or a best scenario before you even have the conversation. So where you can really dig deep and put some egos aside and come up with something that's for the best of the team, the project, the, the job, the program, whatever it is that you're working on. Um, so you really want to focus on the goal and keep steering the conversation toward the goal. Um, and this will keep your emotions in balance. And you'll, you'll find over time, it will keep the other party's emotions in balance as well. So are you going to work to both mutually agree upon what the problem is and then work from that? Or, I mean, what if we don't really know what the root issue is? Mm, that's when your active listening comes in. So you want to take as high of an elevation as possible and create the, the safe space. So that's a kind of a buzzword term in, in coaching lingo is the safe space concept. So you really want to nurture an environment where people can just start putting their ideas out there. And some people will find as they start sharing and as they start listening to others that you might not be in the same conversation at all might be completely different things that you're you're talking about you have completely different ideas completely different agendas and you're not actually in conflict you're just talking about two different things and not understanding it well where are some scenarios where this would work because i mean for our listeners it's probably around having a tough conversation 
with maybe my boss on how I can contribute more as an HR professional, or maybe as a manager who's got to have a tough conversation with an employee about uh, maybe some annoying habit they have, or they have bad body odor or something like that. Those are the ones where I see this probably the most. Are those some of the most common places where this conscious communication technique would work? Yes, those are some great, those are some great examples. And I believe fostering an environment in the workspace, and that means the virtual workspace as well as the physical workspace of this open communication from day one is essential. Um, now, granted, it's just like they say in investing, you know, best time to start investing was 20 years ago and today and or today. So if you haven't been fostering this communication policy and you have someone you need to talk to, um, then, you know, start now, do the best you can to prepare, uh, create that safe space, tell them that, you know, no, like no question is a dumb question, except for the one that's not asked. And, have them like really stick to the facts, uh, avoid any like misinterpretation. Uh, so you really want to go in with a listening, a listening situation and an understanding situation. So um, I'll, yeah, I'll take your, your body odor example um, situation. I would think doing a, creating a safe space, setting a field, um, opening conversations with that employee that may not be that conversation just yet, but having them really feel accepted and welcomed in the organization and then lead into some questions that may get to the answers of a background of maybe why this is happening and how, and then gradually into a how it can be addressed um, with sensitivity personal sensitivity, cultural sensitivity, um, you know, because we don't know, you know, we don't know what's going on. So you can't just go in and say, here's a couple bars of soap and use them. Uh, be very, you know, that would be uh, effective. Well, yeah, I guess very, it sends yeah, the message, right? Yes, effective, but very insensitive. And you're, you're going to want to not have that with your employees because then that would go out into like everybody would be like oh my gosh if i ever have an issue they're just going to be really not interested in my side or my opinion or or a why what is your response to someone who looks at this and says you know what this is a bunch of crap you stink here's some soap fix the problem because I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm hearing the language and I'm, I can visualize a couple of people that I've worked with in the past who would look at this and say, you've got to be kidding me. Crucial conversations, conscious communication. How about just do it because I said so? What's your response to that? Mm -hmm. That's a, that is a great question. And I, and I have to be honest, like before I started working on this back, uh, gosh, 12 Yes, back in 2012, I started really examining this type of stuff and getting more big picture about it. I was very similar. I was either like, I work for you and you tell me what to do, or you work for me and I tell you what to do. Like, period. Do you want to work here? If you don't want to work here, then don't follow what I'm telling you to do. And I think that, like you said, I think that's a lot of as we're a lot of perspectives of a lot of places. Um, but as we've in the last few years become an employee driven 
workforce and workplace where good talent is hard to come by. Um, and as projects, like I've seen, like I um, am very entrenched in the construction industry. So as you see projects go awry due to miscommunication, it's really crucial to open lines of communication. Uh, so it's like it was a it was a very kind of small and direct example about the body odor situation. But if you elevate that out to how people communicate on time delays and material deficiencies or um, design issues, things where you can see something out in the future where things might be an issue to feel free to bring those up and not just have not just have someone who says, oh, it's my my way or the highway, you need to just keep pressing on. And then there be end up being a, a, either a major disaster or even just a, a small delay, which has really uh, rippling effects. So, well, we can see the work context pretty clear here, but what about for the person who says, well, I, I don't have these problems at work where my problem is, is like family holidays, you know, grandpa's going to come and start saying how the, the rot, the, the left is wrong and and we've become a nation of handouts. And then you have a 21-year-old college student that says, well, I think we should have free college for everyone. Um, how do you come to terms with that using the conscious communication? Or does it not work in those situations? Oh, no, it, it, it will work. Um, it's just you have to build your skills around it. And you have to be someone who wants someone who wants to do it so in that scenario it wouldn't be grandpa and the college student necessarily but someone who is wanting to foster conversation more proactively and you know i think it would be baby steps it would be conversations before the event it would be this this again this kind of safe space concept like talking to one person and I hear you and I, I understand where you're coming from and then the other person kind of the same sort of thing and not changing the opinions of anyone but slowly putting it in a softer context a softer communication style um, if you want to do that like at all. Um, I know some, some families have just said, okay, we're banning political conversation. <laughs> or we're not inviting grandpa over this year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, or the college kid, he can just go <laughs> hang out with his friends. So it, it's, it's, it's true. And sometimes you do have to make these decisions in your friend circle and in your colleague circle. And um, cause you, you are the five, you are the culmination of your five friends or your five conversations that you're in. So if you're not considered, not, if you're not growing, like if this is not a growing conversation, then there's not a lot of point to the conversation unless you were just working on your own listening and compassion skills. Okay. Well, you've said the word skills multiple times, which suggests to me that this conscious communication ability doesn't come natural. You have to learn it. So Daya, where do I learn how to do this? 
Um, I think some people do get it maybe a little bit more naturally. Uh, maybe they went into the ministry or uh, uh, sociology or psychology. Um, I had to learn it. And therefore, I feel that it's of benefit for others to accept it as a skill, kind of like organization. People say people are either organized or not. Organization is a skill. Maybe some people just learned it more, learned it earlier in life, and some people are learning it later in life. And then some people are like, Hey, I really don't care about being organized. So same here. And I, what I would suggest is if you want to just learn it on your own, I mean, there are a lot of resources online. I'd look into things like emotional intelligence. Uh, there's a fabulous book called Crucial Conversations, which I've used that term a few times. Um, I'm happy to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with, with people at any time to kind of see where they're at and what would be most useful uh, for them. Um, sometimes I'm brought in to actually work with teams on on communication, on conflict management, and sort of furthering that as well. And I, I would, of course, that's, you know, my, <laughs> my torch that I'm carrying, I would suggest that people have these periodical these trainings periodically, I'd say at least twice a year with their teams as their teams grow and change, just to save money in the long run, to be honest with you, when people stop and create conflict or engage in conflict, you're derailing the whole team, the whole morale of the team. It's actually time consuming. You're having people having to go to leaders and supervisors and take their time and bend their ear. Uh, the HR people, uh, of course, they're going into their office, taking up taking up their time um, when they could be doing something that's more proactive. And instead, they're having to really, you know, listen to complaints and, and say, okay, well, if this had been more of a proactive conversation, it would be moving along without a hitch. Well, then I'm going to make a suggestion for my listeners. Let's not bother getting books because you know you're not going to read it anyway. Why don't we just call up Dea and have her come help us? Dea, how do we reach out to you so you can help us? Thank you. That's a, that's a great way to uh, go ahead and just cut to the chase. It's uh, called conscious communication. See, I'm it, thinking about it. It is. It is. It's like, go, go ahead and let's do it. So absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can just look up Daya Naif. Uh, my company is called The Success Partner. And that's pretty easy to find as well. Um, my website is a, a .com or a .net. Uh, so whatever you'd like to put in there. And um, I think they're going to put a scheduling link in the show notes if I'm not. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. If I'm not. Of course mistaken. we will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. Um, more than happy to talk to, to people in your HR Oxygen community and whoever they'd like to, to refer me to. And that's what I, what I love to do. So thank you. Excellent. Yeah. Well, again, if you're listening today, please take her up on this, um, especially as we start transitioning back to whatever reality is going to be. I'm not going to say normal because who knows what normal is, but reality uh, prep for it. Let's be ready for it. I'm convinced it can help. And I am convinced Daya can help you. So Daya, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and sharing some of this wisdom with us. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. 
And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.